As we end our Lord's Day together, I want us to meditate on Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. So this is the passage that we used for our call to worship this morning. And uh, it's a passage that is uh, super familiar to all of us because it's in songs and stuff. (laughs) So if you want to turn there, you can turn to page 688 in the Bible provided. Lamentations chapter 3. We'll read verses 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So this morning we looked at the command to serve one another in love through the lens of the freedom we have in Christ. We saw how we were freed from the penalty and power of sin in order to love each other. And we talked about the one specific way we might love each other is by helping each other grow in Christ, by building up each other's faith and also by sharing the gospel with our our lost friends. We want to see that as we try to fulfill this expectation of the Lord, that we would be disciple makers, that we can't do that without a grasp of the Lord's love. We can't grow ourselves or have anything to share unless we have a a confident and joyful knowledge that God loves us in Christ. If we don't have that, we've got nothing to share with others. We've got no power to persevere in love without the knowledge of God's love for us. So it will be helpful for us to just sit and sort of stare at these verses from Lamentations to help us grow in our own love for Christ and in our love for others and our, in our desire to be disciple-making disciples. The title of this book, Lamentations, kind of gives away that it's not going to be the most joyful book, right? It's It's a book of lament that's related to the exile of Judah. So we, we studied Daniel, we studied Nebuchadnezzar taking the, the Judeans away. Well, this is, this is Jeremiah, we think, lamentation about that judgment having come upon Israel. If not Jeremiah, maybe one of his uh, students wrote these words. But they're a series of laments about how bad things have gotten. And when you read through these things, it's bad. God's judgment, and it's a righteous judgment for sin, has come upon Judah. They are afflicted severely. It's intense, and it's terrifying. So just a little taste of this terror can be found just above where we just read in Lamentations 3, 13 through 18. The prophet here is speaking kind of personally as a representative of Judah. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, My endurance has perished. 
so has my hope from the Lord. These are as bad as they could possibly be. Like if it, if it weren't real, it would almost be laughable how, how bad these things are mounted up on each other. This man is completely hopeless, mocked, afraid, no peace, no hope. This is an apt description of all of us in our sinful state. This is a soul under God's righteous judgment. This is what we deserve because of our sin. The difference between this writer and, the, and people in, our, in their lost state is that at least this writer knows his lostness. Most, most lost folks don't know the full weight of their lostness. Even that seems to point at a kind of hellish nature, right? Those in hell are conscious of their torment. They're conscious of their hopelessness, of the wrath of God upon them. That's where this man is. But as he expresses his hopelessness, it's almost as a light clicks on. So right after he says he's, his hope has perished, in verse 19, he says, Remember my affliction and my wonderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Colon, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Somehow the, the prophet, in this state of sensing God's wrath, sensing that there's no hope, having forgotten what happiness is, the Lord calls to mind. He can call out to God. There's something hopeful in the very fact that he's praying this, that he's speaking to God, right? That itself is a hopeful sign. And somehow as he's praying, he remembers. He remembers the steadfast love of the Lord. He can call on God. And he remembers, this is where his hope is, this is what follows the colon, that God's love never ends. It's a never-stopping love, unending mercy. So at the point of this man's greatest sorrow, he realizes there's something greater than my sorrow. The faithful love of God is greater. There's something even more sure and consistent than suffering the new morning mercies of God. Sometimes we, we tell the joke, the only two certain things are death and taxes, right? Well, here's something more certain. The abundant, great love of God. To him, it seems like the sufferings will never come to an end, but then he remembers God's mercies will never come to an end. There's more mercy in Christ than sin in us, we say. When we read these words... We have a hard time wrapping our head around such abundant love. Isn't it hard to conceive of? It seems too good to be true. And yet this is exactly what is revealed to us in the gospel. I'm not exactly sure, again, what made the light switch click on for the, the one who's lamenting here. But we understand the boundless love of God comes to us in Christ. Think about the idea of steadfast love. Some, some translations render this covenant faithfulness, God's binding, unchanging promise of love that never ends. We see that in Christ. God is so steadfastly committed to our salvation that the person of the Son of God himself 
came to die in our place. That's steadfastness. Not only did he come, but he completed the work. Salvation is done in, in what Christ has done. There's nothing else that needs to be done. So God's steadfastness to us is rooted in that once-for-all accomplishment of Jesus on the cross. God is steadfast, and we can know he's steadfast because of Christ's work. So relate this to making disciples. Do you have something to share with each other? Well, could you share the steadfastness of Christ's love? Could you say, brother or sister, you can count on this. It's not changing. God is steadfast. He's steadfast in Christ. We could also think about the the never-ceasing mercy of God. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. If you were to try to come up with a, a unit of measurement to describe the Son of God taking on flesh to die for us, what unit of measurement can you apply to that? Well, the prophet says it's just never-ending. There's no unit. It's infinite. It's new every morning. So his mercy is like the manna that Israel gathered in the wilderness. They woke up and they went outside and gathered. When we wake up tomorrow and we pray to our God, we will find mercy. And if you have a a really bad day and you happen to need a lot of mercy tomorrow, the next day there will still be mercy. There'll be no diminishment in the mercy. His mercies never come to an end. You can never reach the bottom of the mercy. It's inexhaustible mercy. So the first time we commit a sin and bring it to God in repentance, trusting in Jesus, we may may believe, oh yeah, there's mercy for me. That's the first time. Everyone gets one failure. But this truth says the thousandth time we commit the sin and we come to God, and we confess it and ask for forgiveness in Jesus' name, we find mercy yet again. Again and again, there is mercy. And again, this is only possible because of Jesus, right? Jesus took on our sin. He fully paid for it. He was the righteous, spotless lamb, and his sacrifice is perfect. His sacrifice is sufficient to pay for all your sin. And so it's because we've come to know the mercy of God that we become merciful people. Isn't that what Jesus teaches us in the Beatitudes? So the reason that we care enough to share the gospel is because we know we've received mercy. We love much because we've been forgiven much. And so do you know God's mercy? Have you received it? Do you know anyone who needs mercy? When we seek to make disciples, we're seeking to introduce introduce those who need mercy to the source of mercy, to God who reveals his mercy in Christ. In summing up all this, the prophet says, great is your faithfulness. Great is a great word, but we've robbed it of all its meaning, right? We say, oh great, sarcastically, we don't mean it. We say that was a great game about a close football game. We've really diminished the word. It seems like all of, our, all of our superlative words in English we've diminished. So maybe we should say that God's faithfulness is huge. Or maybe we should say it's ginormous, gigantic. 
It's gigantic faithfulness. That's the point here. It's great. It's the way you say a great ship, a, hall, a tall building. It's huge. It's, it's, it's so big you can't get your arms around it. That describes God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He doesn't get tired of loving and showing mercy. He never wears out. So again, when you come to God tomorrow, you will find the same merciful God. The same merciful God who revealed himself in Christ. And nothing can separate you from his love. We sang that. Nothing can ever sever us from that love. This is especially encouraging because when we think about ministry, caring for someone else, encouraging our spouse or encouraging someone in church or that, that friend at work who we want to share the gospel with but is also a little annoying, we think about those situations and we get worn out just thinking about them, don't we? It seems like a lot of work. We do wear out, but we serve a God who does not wear out. So we know we are weak, but he is strong. And we seek to minister in the strength that he supplies. I've heard it said this week that when it comes to the Christian life and making disciples, we need to both raise the bar and lower the barriers. We need to raise the bar in that we need to all see the, the radical commitment that God calls us to, to make disciples, to love each other in the church and to share the gospel with the lost. So we need to raise the bar and not settle for something less than that. But we also need to lower the barriers. We need to understand how great the equipment we have is that God has equipped us with. That we do minister in the strength that God supplies. And one way to lower the barriers is to see all the ways that we do do disciple-making work in the church. This is my kind of go-to example, but it's so important. When we gather here and we sing songs... We are, also, we are obviously singing them to the Lord. There are praises to him. But we are singing them to each other. And, the, and Paul tells us that in Colossians, that we encourage one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So when you come and sing, you are making disciples of one another. When you state your confession of faith, you're making disciples of one another. Even those simple acts I hope you see are part of your disciple-making work. I think we could say even just showing up at church and participating in worship, you're saying to your brothers and sisters, this is important to me. A Christian attends worship. A Christian listens to God's word. Even these very basic acts of obedience are disciple-making acts. We should understand them that way. So wherever you are, however much you know about theology or however little you know, However much of a people person you are, or however much of a curmudgeon you are, use what you have to speak of Jesus. That's my attempt to lower the bar. Speak of Jesus. And as you do, trust in the God of gigantic faithfulness. Trust in him to sustain you and know that he will be with you. He'll forgive you when you fail. He will work through you the way he worked through stuttering Moses in Pharaoh's court. Great is his faithfulness. The prophet ends this little section of verses by talking about 
the Lord as his portion. He says, the Lord himself is my portion. Isn't that a wonderful statement? A few verses earlier, he said his soul was so bowed down that he was without hope. But now he can say, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is his, and he is the Lord's. The Lord is yours. He's yours because he's given himself to you. We talked about this a few weeks ago in Galatians, where we saw that God sent his son, and God sent his spirit God the Father has sent the Son and the Spirit to give himself to us so that we can become his sons. So we are his and he is ours. And this is why we hope. It's because we are his and he is ours that we have a hope that one day we will see Jesus. We belong to him. And this this is what we confess in the first question and answer of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only hope in life and in death? That I am not my own, but belong, both body and soul, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. And he watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. We belong to him, and so we will see him. This is why we have a hope that the gospel will save sinners. It's not our gospel, right? It's God's. The world is still in existence, and so because it's here and we're here, we believe God must still have some souls that he intends to save. There are some walking around, maybe billions of people, who cannot say, the Lord is my portion, but the Lord intends to give himself to them too. And so we trust in the steadfast love of Christ, this love that never ends, And each day we wake up, sustained by his mercy, with confidence in this great, gigantic, ginormous, faithful God, we seek to minister the gospel. In the love of God in Christ, there is hope for the hopeless. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are so blessed to be called your children. It is so kind of you to show us mercy. We have hope because you are our portion. The God of endless steadfast love, of limitless mercy. And so we pray that you grant us faith and hope to live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.